Well, we are coming off of um, two good weeks of the Go Conference. I trust that the Lord spoke to you through through that. I know that He um, stirred my heart during the last two weeks. And now, now we're back to uh, the Book of First Timothy. If you're a guest with us, our practice here is to work our way through a book of the Bible, piece by piece. And we have been working this year in First Timothy, and we're in chapter five beginning at verse 17. If you're using one of the Bibles that uh, we have for you in the back of the seat in front of you, that's on page 1412, 1412. I'm going to read verses 17 through 25 through the end of the chapter there. But our our focus will be on on, uh, just 17 to 20. It says here in the word, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin... Rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Again, let me read verse 17 to 20 because that's what we'll focus our attention on this morning. It says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin... Rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Now, I must say that we know that there are no coincidences in the life of a child of God. uh, But I guess sometimes if there's a coincidence, we mean by that that we didn't plan it. And uh, a long time ago when Bill asked me, uh, could we use September 31st to be the pastor appreciation uh, did I say September? Thank you. My wife always keeps me straight there. Uh, October 31st, um, to do pastor appreciation, I, we said, sure. And then later I realized, oh, look at the passage that we're looking at uh, on, that, on that particular Sunday. So um, we're not good enough to actually plan this, but I guess God, God did. So we're looking at this. And I see in this passage uh, some instructions for the church family uh, concerning our church elders 
And then, and likewise, there's also instructions here for the elders themselves. So it, it goes both ways. And I'd like us to see here three, especially three instructions um, for the church in relation to the church elders. And mixed in there, then, we'll see um, some implications for the elders themselves. First instruction is, is that we must be clear in understanding our church elders' role. What is the role that the elders play in the church? You see there in verse 17, look at verse 17. It says, the elders who rule well. So there uh, we see that that there is a, a ruling function or a governing function, an overseeing function, a managing function that the elders um, are called on to exercise. So that in the church, as the church um, operates and um, um, ministers to people, and as we are together, fellowshipping together and doing things together, it means there, there has to be someone ruling there, not as a king with a, on a throne, but ruling in the sense of managing and governing. So that's to be in the elders' hands. And then the sentence goes on. It says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And so the, the, the function of teaching the word of God and preaching the word of God falls on the elders. So on the one hand, there's the, the, the ruling, and on the other hand, there's the teaching. And those two, uh, those two words summarize what the elders are supposed to be doing. Now, it's interesting, if you, um, if you want to turn back to Acts chapter 20, I want to show you something there. Acts 20, it's on page 1325. I want to show you something about the way the words in Scripture describe elders. What words are used to talk about them. Acts 20, verse 17, Paul, the apostle, is traveling through and he gets close to Ephesus and calls for the elders at Ephesus to come out and meet him. And um, they come and this is his farewell to the elders. Uh, He knows that he's not going to see them again. It was a very emotional uh, time. But you'll note, I want you to see in verse 17, it says, from Miletus, He sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So the people he's speaking to are elders. Okay. Then go to verse 28. So we we skip ahead in what he's saying to them. And we get to verse 28 and it says there, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So in this passage in Acts 20, there are three words being used about the same people. The the word elder, which is in verse 17, and then the word overseer, which is here in verse 28, and the word shepherd. Shepherd's used as a verb there, but it's the same word as the word pastor. The word pastor comes from the word shepherd. And so there's the elder, there's the overseer, which gets translated as the word bishop. So there's the elder, there's the bishop, and there's the pastor. But what I want you to see is the scripture uses 
all three of those words about the same person. Amen? It's, this, it's the same people being talked of. The elders are the bishops or the, the overseers. They oversee things. And they are the ones that shepherd. They're the pastors. The three different words speak about different functions that these people take. It's important uh, to understand that. And we view um, pastors as elders. We're, we're, we're a little different, but we're, this, we're in the same group. Pastors are elders. Uh, and elders all pastor to some degree or another. Now, if you turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and you see again in verse 17, something very interesting. It says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. And then it says, now, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. When I was, um, when I was younger, um, I, I, would, I reacted against seeing some, in some churches, seeing elders that did very little pastoring of people, but they were mostly uh, organizational and administrative. Um, and I would, I would see in Scripture that all elders are to be shepherding people. And I had a reaction in my, in my immaturity. I would, I would try to say, but, but everybody, all elders have to be teaching equally. And all elders have to be doing certain things equally. But now I see not only in this verse, but just in life, that God's made us different. And you see in verse 17 that it says there, there are some elders that are going to do more ruling than teaching. And there are other elders that are going to do more teaching than ruling. But all elders do all of it. Amen? And, and you just see that some are gifted in such a way and inclined in such a way, and God just works in their lives in such a way that they move and they do much more teaching and preaching than they do ruling. And what's happened in over time and in our society is that often those are, act, we call them pastors. <laughs> they're still elders, but they're pastors. And, um, and many do less of that but they do uh, more of the, the ruling part, the governing part, and, and we tend to call them uh, lay elders, unordained, but lay elders. Some of that can be debated about whether it's good to, to make those distinctions or not, but I think this, that little word especially here in verse 17 lays it open and shows us that, that God knew and God is doing what God is doing and all the men together shepherd the church some are inclined one way, some are inclined the other. And um, we accept what God is doing. Now, I want to ask a, a couple questions here as we think about this. Why all this attention to the issue of elders? I mean, when you think about it, you think about this book that Paul is, this letter that Paul's written to Timothy, and it's God has written it. You know, if you go back to chapter 3, you see that beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, all the way down through um, verse 7, he's, he's talking there about the, the qualifications 
of man to be an elder. So he's giving attention to the eldership in the church. Then in chapter 5, he comes back again to the issue of elders and, and gives the people instructions in terms of how they're to uh, relate to the elders and other issues about elders. This is important. And so in a, in a book that's in the scripture that's teaching us much about how the church is to live together. What's the church supposed to do and, and to be? He talks about elders. So there's a conclusion that we come to that, that, that this is part of God's plan for his people. Some, um, some, let, let me ask you a question. What's the difference? You don't have to answer out loud, but what's the difference between a bunch of Christians gathered together and a bunch of Christians who are gathered together and they are a church? You know, there is a difference. Some, some people like to say, well, we're all the church. And, when, and they, we love to quote the verse, well, two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst of them. Well, that's true, but it doesn't mean they're a church. You can, you can get, be in a gathering of a lot of Christians. Is that the ch- a church? Is that a local church? And the answer is no. And not, it, it isn't, this isn't the whole distinction between that and a church, but one of the marks of a, what makes a church a church is that biblical leadership is there. Elders are there. Deacons are there. That's part of what makes a church a church. And that's part of God's plan. God, God is, has designed it this way for our good and for his glory. Some people say that they can be whatever God wants them to be and they can serve God uh, however God wants them to serve without being plugged into a local body of believers. But that's foreign to the New Testament. The, the Bible doesn't teach that kind of Christianity. Some Christian that's disassociated from a local body of believers. And part of what makes a body of believers a church is elders. That the elder structure is there. And God's working in and through them. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders... And submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. God's designed so that we're all in this together. He saves us, praise his name, and he puts us in with other Christians, and we're all on this journey together. We want to serve him and and do what's right in his eyes on this earth, and we want to make our way through all of this temptation and all of the suffering and all of the enemy's attempts to, to sidetrack us. We want to make our way to that end destination that he has for us. Right? Amen? And And in that struggle this walk that we have he puts some people in a position where they're supposed to as it says in hebrews 13:17 to keep watch over our souls and they will give an account you talk about a verse that wants 
that makes me want to resign as a pastor. This is a scary verse. I feel the weight of it sometimes, and I just, I just collapse into God's grace is all I can do. I say, well, God, I can't. how can I do this? But, but you see, we need the people that feel the weight of that and that God's put there that people are actually watching out for our souls in such a way that God's going to have something extra in the judgment day for them that others don't have. God's going to hold them account for how your soul is doing. He might not be doing that for you if you're not an elder. It's all very somber and, and it's all very serious, but it's all God's plan. This is the way he has designed it. God shepherds you, but he does this through other people. And we need to be careful that we don't run away from being actually connected to a local church in such a way that that others can express that part of God's will in your life. Some time ago, I remember this very well. I've lost the recording, but um, I heard uh, it was a tape recording, a chilling recording of the cockpit communication between some Air Force pilots during the Vietnam War. And what had happened was, is that they were flying in formation and the, um, the Vietnamese side had set a little trap where they flew one plane down, looked like it was by itself, down low, just baiting anyone to break formation and dive after them. A young pilot took the bait. The commanding pilot told him not to. He says, stay in formation. And he says, I've got him, I've got him. And they said, stay in formation. But he broke out of formation and went down. And then as he took the bait, enemy planes came out of the, out of the clouds from another way. And he was outnumbered. And it wasn't a movie. It wasn't made up. They weren't actors. I was listening to their voices where the, the young pilot was saying, they're on me, they're on me. And the commander pilot says, stay in formation. Everyone stay in formation because he knew that if they broke in, they'd all be caught. And you listened as the young pilot was killed. Finally, as he's, as he's, he's trying to get away from them, they get him. You hear the, his radio go blank. And you heard one of the wingmen say, they got him. If you think that you can break formation out of the local church and you'll be okay in this world in which Satan's got more traps for you and more temptations for you than you can number, you're going about your Christianity in a way that is not God's plan. And I'm not saying there's anything um, uber spiritual about the elders. We're all men, and the best of men are men at best. But, but we're sincere men. Uh, we make mistakes, but we're sincere, and we're trying to do the right thing. And we're, we are lining ourselves up with God's plan. 
And we're asking you to line yourself up with God's plan too. I think about the issue of church membership here. And, and I just want to say that, that church membership is a way for you to declare that I'm a part of this body. And for the leaders then to know who's a part of this body. I don't want to be unkind here and, and harsh, but I, I just want to say it this way. You know, we only have so many hours in the day. And the last time I checked, there's still only 168 of them in a week. And if this person who attends the church regularly but has never joined the church, has a problem and wants to talk to a pastor. And this person is a member of the church and they have a problem. They want to talk to the pastor. And I only have time to talk to one person. Sometimes I have time for both. But if I have only time for one, who am I going to talk to? I'm going to talk to the one that has said, I'm committed. I am a part of this body. I don't know how that sounds to your ears. I hope it doesn't sound unkind. But there's an issue here, my friend. Who are the elders responsible for? Who in that judgment day are we going to give an account for? Well, I know it's the members. I don't know about the non-members. Don't break formation. Fly in formation, for the enemy is there. And it's God's way. It's, it's God's way. It's God's way. But now, I want to think also here. We're still trying to be clear in understanding our church elders' role. And we could go too far. And we could, we could think that, that um, uh, it's the elders that, you know, do everything about my growth, my individual growth. But, but I want you to turn. Turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And actually, Bill didn't know I was going to go there today, but, so he's already read a part of this. But 1 Thessalonians 5, it's on page 1406, 12 to 14. Now, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you a question. It says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Now, in this passage, it mentions the leaders and it mentions the people and it talks about various responsibilities. So here's the quiz. Here's the question. Who is responsible to admonish and encourage and help and be patient? Who, who's responsible to do that? It's, you, it's the people. Did you see that? It, and some, it's amazing, we can actually read it there and then we'll answer that question. Well, it's the leaders. Well, they're, they're supposed to do it too. But verse 14 is talking about all of us. So you, 
Brethren, it says, we urge you, brethren, it's your responsibility to admonish the unruly. You do it too. It's your responsibility to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, be patient with everyone. The leaders are put in the church by God's design, but we all share the responsibility to look out for one another to a certain, uh, to a certain point. And so let's be clear, and not in emphasizing the elders, begin to think that we do nothing for each other. We all are involved. We're all involved there. So we need to be clear in our understanding of our church elders' role. Now, I've spent more time on that than I will in the next uh, two points. But second instruction from the passage, you can go back to 1 Timothy 5. We need to be appropriate in giving our church elders honor. In verse 17, it says um, that the elders who rule well are considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And then it says in verse 18, for the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. There's a certain honor that goes with the position that is held, but there's another honor that goes with the person and his character. You know, you see there in, um, in verse uh, 17, it says those who rule well, not those who rule poorly. The, the onus is on the elder to rule well. And then it says later, those who work hard at preaching and teaching. We're not supposed to just do it, but to work hard at it. There's supposed to be a diligence and a very careful and conscientious working out of the responsibilities of an elder. And this challenges those of us who are elders. This passage challenges us to, to do what we're supposed to do, to put the time in that, that we can and must. Um, and perhaps no one feels that greater than those on the staff or we're not employed anywhere else. This, this is what we do. And we mustn't take that for granted or uh, be slothful or slack. We've got to work hard, it says. We've got to work hard at, at doing this. And for some, that double honor, uh, that involves remuneration. It, it involves pay. That's what verse 18 is saying. You don't muzzle the ox. <laughs> That's just what I am. I'm just an ox. Uh, you know, while he's threshing. In other words, they'd say, you know, they, the ox would, uh, they did it in different ways, but they off, often they had a, a pole in a, with a center that it would just go around. They put the ox on it and they had a sled that the ox would pull and they put the grain down on a rock, big round rock and they drive the oxen and they just walk around and around in circle and the sled would 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 grind the grain. And they said, Don't this is a quote from Deuteronomy. He says, You take the muzzle off the ox. I mean, he's doing the work, so let him eat some of the grain while he's doing it. You know, just don't muzzle the ox while he's threshing. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. That's a quote from Luke. That's what Jesus said, which just as an aside, this is a tangent, but it's interesting that it's quite possible that the writings of Luke were already being passed around by the time Paul wrote this. And he's calling it scripture. Isn't that interesting in verse 18? For the scripture says that second quote, the laborer is worthy of his wages. That's not in the Old Testament. 
That's in Luke. But it's already considered scripture by the Apostle Paul. Interesting. But we, so we need to be appropriate in and discerning and giving our church elders honor. And again, I, uh, I was planning this, but didn't know it would fall on the same day as pastor appreciation. But hey, that's good. I'd like all of our elders to stand. Just stand where you are. Go ahead and stand. There are active elders. Okay, so we've got Bill Walters here and Pete Everett, Ron Hoyle, Charles Bloomfield, John, John Mays, um, Walt Bortry, Dave Tress, Ron Sprankle, Glenn Felty. Now, right? don't sit down yet. Now, if you've been an active elder, say, within the last 10 years or so, or even more, why don't you stand? Anyone, who, anyone who's been an, an elder in the past, an active elder in the past at this church, would you stand? There's Jay, Al, yep, Terry, Ron, John, I saw John, Tim, anyone else? Could we give these, who did, who did I miss? Oh, Pastor Herzog, Roy, thank you very much. Let's give these guys some appreciation. Ed, there's Ed. Bill, thank you guys. These guys, um, you know, it's it's a great privilege. I, I think it's a great honor for me, and it's a joy for me to work with these men. Um, and the work that they put in, the time they put in, the concern. Um, so the the uh, stress at times that they that they carry that in one sense you know they don't have to do this but but they do it because they love their lord and they love you it's uh um however long i live and i don't know and some days i think it's not going to be too long but in other days i feel better but however long i live it's i'm going to consider Working with these men, one of the great privileges of my life. These are great, great bunch of guys. So, second lesson we get from this passage is, be appropriate in giving our church elders honor. Now, thirdly, be discerning in dealing with our church elders' sin. Very interesting. In verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful. It's very interesting what's happening here in this passage. He's saying on the one hand in verse 19, don't get tied up or involved in spurious or frivolous accusations. It's using an Old Testament um, teaching that you you, you got to have two or three witnesses before you take something serious and so uh, t- you, you don't you don't let yourself just run run here and there just because somebody says something you have to guard the elders and and let them do their work so that's on the one hand but on the other hand verse 20 says but if if they are sinning if one of them is sinning and, and has um, continued to sin. There's been an approach made to him and there's been no repentance. You must deal with that 
and you must deal with it decisively and you must deal with it publicly. Public in the sense of in front of the church. Rebuke in the presence of all. For a man uh, to, to hold the position of elder, then to, 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 to walk down a path of sin, to refuse to turn back, that man gets rebuked in front of the whole church. It's a very somber and sober thing. And so I look at that and I think about our own lives and it, it serves to warn us all that we need to take sin seriously and to take our lives uh, and our walk and, and the temptations that are out there to take all that seriously. Those of us on the pastoral staff, each of us, we've, we've made sure about this, that we each have an accountability partner. And we meet, and it's not among ourselves. We, we let each of us choose who that's going to be. And then we meet regularly with our accountability partners, other men, where we can ask them questions and they can ask us questions and we can be very upfront. There's like no holds barred. Just looking eyeball to eyeball and asking tough questions about, about this and that in your life. We do that and we put ourselves through that because we know that we are men. Amen? We're sinners. Being a pastor doesn't make us less susceptible to temptation than someone else. And so, if anything, it makes Satan work harder to bring us down. So we need, we need accountability with other people. That's us. But, hey, don't you? You need that too. We need to be in relationship with other people, women with women, men with men, where we can hold each other accountable and keep prodding each other and encouraging each other to move forward. Uh, when I was talking with my accountability partner the other day, it was a couple of weeks ago, um, it was one of those times where he had to talk and I had to listen. And when we got near the end, he said, you know, he says it's something the way God does this. He says, sometimes like you're in really, you're in sorry shape and I, I listen to you and, and I've been in sorry shape today and you're listening to me. I said, yeah, that's, that's the way it is. It'll be a bad day when we're both down, but it seems like God, God keeps us going. We need each other. We need people like that in our lives. I encourage you to think about that. And it can start in a place like your small group where you, where you just know people better and you're just with each other and you help each other grow. Be discerning, it says in the scripture here, in dealing with church elders' sin. Don't run after every this or that, anything that's just said, but if it's proven, deal with it decisively. And we all need to be careful about sin in our lives. Now, in conclusion, I just want to read a passage to you from the book of John. We've been thinking about elders and seeing how it's God's plan to shepherd us. But it's amazing. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Jesus is called the chief shepherd. You see, it's really not about people shepherding other people. It's about Jesus shepherding us. Amen? He is the chief shepherd And he shepherds us and has chosen to do it on a great part of it. Not all of it, but a a big part of it. He'll do it through other people. But in John chapter 10, 
Jesus spoke in verse, beginning in verse 10. And, and listen, listen to what he says, John 10, verse 10 and, and after. He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep. We're all sheep, and there are, there are thieves out there that want to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, there's wolves out there that want to snatch and scatter. And Jesus is saying that he's the shepherd that owns the sheep, and he wants us to have life and to have it abundantly. And you see, so this, this passage in 1 Timothy, we, we want to remember the, the real picture includes Jesus in it. That he's the shepherd. He's the one that wants good for us and who is working good for us. And it's, it's Jesus who laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ began his shepherding by going to the cross. And on the cross... He died there for the sheep. And he died and paid the penalty of sin that the sheep deserved. The sheep earned the penalty, but Jesus took the penalty for them. And he died, but three days later he rose from the dead, alive, and now says, I'm the shepherd, and I know my sheep. And he says, though, but I, there are other sheep, he said, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And I just want to end this morning by asking you, are you one of those sheep that are out somewhere outside of the fold that Jesus is saying, you're mine. Come in, come into the, come into the fold. Come to me, Jesus says. And let me give you life and give you life abundantly. If you haven't tasted that abundant life that Jesus Christ offers you, you can have it by going to Jesus by faith. And I would urge you to talk to me or, or someone nearby you or one of the elders about this Jesus. We're going to have one of our elders down here after the service. He and often the wife, their wife is able to be with them. They're there for prayer. And if you're not sure that you know this Jesus as your shepherd and that, and that you've tasted the abundant life that he offers, come down and talk to him. He'll be glad to talk with you. Let's um, close our time together now. In prayer, let's stand together.
Let's, let's pray. Lord, Lord God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the one who has come to give us life, the one who laid his life down for us. We worship you and praise you and thank you. And we thank you and bow to your plan that in your word you showed us that we're to have elders in the church governing, teaching, and we're to honor them. We're to help them do their job, uh, but we're to hold them accountable, deal with sin if that's in the picture. Um, Lord, help us to, to be a church that reflects your word, that we as a people are a part of the flock and have made that clear to the leaders and the leaders. Uh, oh, Lord, I pray for us that you would give us a holy fear of um, this position that you put us in and then give us the grace, oh God, to do our best and to do it for your glory. We thank you, Father, and surrender to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord bless.